continuing on this um, idea of encouragement, we're, I was originally going to talk about sanctification. So rejoice, praise be to God. We're not going to talk about sanctification tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about encouragement tonight. Um, and we're going to look at a guy named Joseph. Um, his original name was Joseph. He was given a name that you're probably more familiar with. His name that you're familiar with is probably Barnabas. Uh, so we're going to look at Barnabas tonight. So if you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11 and verse 29. And I'm recovering from a sinus infection, so this sounds like super loud. Is this like, is this okay? Okay, because it's like ringing in my ears. Just checking. So Acts chapter 11, we're going to break in at verse 19. Um, this is recounted just after <clears throat> chapter 9 where Saul uh, sees a vision of the Lord. Uh, Cornelius in chapter 10 uh, and then chapter 11 in the beginning, Peter is recounting um, what happened when he went to go see Cornelius and how the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. Um, in chapter 11 verse 19, we're going to read 19 to the end of the chapter. It starts, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Let us just look to the Lord one more time. Our Heavenly Father, we do give thee thanks. Uh, we give thee thanks for this account of, of uh, the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of the saints to, to continue to spread the gospel, uh, to continue to make the name of the Lord great. Um, Father, we pray that it would instill within us uh, great courage to do likewise great courage uh, to just be encouragers and to be those that would truly witness the grace of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. You would have had Rome itself. You would have had Alexandria in what is now Egypt. And you would have had Antioch, which is now Syria. Um, so it's a very large city. As the persecution continued with Stephen, uh, there were many people that went out to spread the gospel. But when they went out to spread the gospel, they only went to the Jews. 
Uh, this was something that was very difficult for them to shake, um, something that was very against their very nature. Uh, they had a difficulty in seeing how salvation would go to the Gentiles. And we have this account right before of them not even believing Peter, that how, how is this possible? How did you even go and eat with them? How did you even go into their home, this unclean home of Gentiles? And Peter says, the Spirit came on them just as it did us. Who am I to stand between them and God in salvation? And they all rejoiced. They said, you know what, that's true. Who are you to do that? And there was this feeling of, okay, what does that exactly mean? Now we have a problem. What do we do with them? These are people that know nothing, like absolutely nothing. Uh, the Jews at least had the scriptures, and they would have had a complete history of God working, this one true God who sent his son. And now they have this son who is the Messiah, and they would just have to claim him as Messiah. The Gentiles were completely different, completely different background. They didn't know how to do anything right. So when we're breaking in here, it's interesting to see that sometimes we only like to talk to people that are familiar to us. Um, one thing I've noticed over the years, it's uh, uh, I celebrated six years in the faith, uh, July 12th. Uh, so it was a little cupcake for me at the program. Um, one of the things that's interesting is my, my group of non-believing acquaintances and friends went from everyone I knew to about this big in six years. Uh, all of a sudden, I just don't really talk to people that are not believers other than in common conversation or everyday line at the grocery store or whatever it is. Um, this was something that the Jews struggled with. Uh, they went and they only ate certain types of food. They didn't go and eat with the Gentiles because they didn't know, had this been offered to something else, was this an unclean animal? Uh, there were certain restrictions that were in the way. It says, but, in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. They just couldn't contain it anymore. Uh, all the Jews maybe had been talked to, and they were there, and they're like, well, we got to tell somebody. And they just start telling the Gentiles. They just start telling the Greeks. And in verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Um, this wasn't an organized effort. This wasn't something that the church in Jerusalem uh, instructed to take place. Uh, these are just people that are unnamed, that end up in a town, that preach the gospel, and all these Gentiles start getting saved. Uh, unbelievable. Goes against everything we think we have to do uh, to get a work started. Because uh, really, we like to plan. We like to have a coordinated effort, and we like to know what we're going to do before we get there, how to do it. There's certain training that we need. Um, really, you just got to do it. You just got to go and actually talk to people about Jesus and uh, see where the, the Holy Spirit leads. In verse 22, it says, The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So finally, news gets back to Jerusalem, where the disciples uh, would have been located, now apostles. And they got together, and they said, You know what? We ought to, we ought to send someone up there. Not some people, not a group, not ourselves. They pick one guy, and they say, Barnabas... You go check it out. And we don't really know much about Barnabas. 
We meet him in chapter 4 of Acts. Uh, he is a Levite named Joseph from Cyprus. Uh, he sells off a huge tract of land, and he brings it to uh, the, the apostles. And he is kind of the, the picture of that, which is led by the Holy Spirit to give what he has and to have all things in common. Um, right before Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit and don't give everything that they had. At that point in time, when Barnabas brings this, the apostles rename him uh, the son of encouragement or the son of consolation is his name. Uh, I've often wondered, if I lived in this time period, what my name would have been. I mean, would they have changed my name, and would it have been one I liked? Uh, would it have been one that was kind of sad, like, wow, you know, he could do better uh, kind of a name? But this was a very high standard that they gave to Barnabas. Uh, and everywhere that he went, when they would say his name, son of encouragement, son of encouragement, son of encouragement. They thought so highly of him that when Saul was converted and he came to Jerusalem trying to meet the apostles, nobody believed that this man Saul could have become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to the point where they thought he was just lying to catch them and capture them and uh, put them in chains. And there was one guy who heard Saul's story and vouched for him and went to the apostles and said, this is what happened. The Lord met him, the Lord told him this, and he's been preaching the Lord with great power. You need to meet him. Uh, and they trusted Barnabas, which it could have went really bad if, in fact, Saul was not converted, if, in fact, uh, he was sneaking around and lying. But they trusted Barnabas, and Barnabas, filled with the Holy Spirit, was able to discern the truth about Saul's conversion, that this man really did belong to Christ. And so we have him vouching for the Apostle Paul. So this man, even though we don't really know much about him, has done some pretty huge things uh, early on in, in his life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have so much confidence in him, they don't send anybody else with him. They send him by himself to make the 300-mile journey or whatever it is from Jerusalem up to Antioch. So as you're going, many of you were, were raised in the faith, uh, raised coming to the assembly. Uh, you had a very uh, systematic way of, of what you expect um, a Christian to do, to be, to act like, how to speak. Um, Barnabas is going to a place where they have no teaching. They have no uh, Jewish culture. They have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. You can imagine that when Barnabas arrives, he sees them doing everything against what he's known to be what we would say is scriptural. They don't wash a certain way. There's no purification. Uh, maybe they're eating animals that haven't been cooked and they're eating the blood. Um, just been sacrificed to idols. Who knows all the things that have been going on here. They have no knowledge of the scripture, uh, the history of, of how God has worked on this world. But it says something very distinct in verse 23. It says, Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God. And we just read past that, but I want you to really consider that. 
he sees them doing perhaps everything wrong. And we would come to a fellowship or to a church or to anything, and the first thing that we do is we look for all the things that they're doing wrong. We say, well, they don't really do that right. Uh, They could really do better here. Uh, If they only did this, then they might actually uh, do well. We see all the problems. Uh, And in fact, sometimes we even pride ourselves on the ability to see others' problems, to be able to criticize and critique and to say, you know what, this is really wrong, and it should be done this way. But when Barnabas got there, he saw the grace of God at work. If when we walk into a fellowship, we don't first see the grace of God at work, we might want to just check our attitude. Let this be a little bit of a test for each of us, a test of the mind. If we walk in and immediately see certain things going on, let us consider seeing the grace of God at that point in time instead of all the corrections that need to take place. It says he saw the grace of God and he rejoiced. A guy that was raised as a Jewish person to absolutely despise the Gentiles. They were so mad at Peter when he preached to Cornelius and to his family. When he, they, they brought him before everybody and they said, basically explain yourself. Who do you think you are to go to the Gentiles and to preach salvation through Jesus Christ? They just had a disdain. A complete dislike, something that maybe we don't fully understand or comprehend. But it says that Barnabas rejoiced. Are we so busy looking at the dislike we have that we miss the glory that goes to God, that we forget to rejoice? This is the the problem of the older son in in the parable of the prodigal son. This is the problem the Pharisees had. There's no joy. There's no there was no rejoicing. Barnabas was a guy that rejoiced. And it says, and he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Uh, your text may have something like uh, he encouraged them all uh, with purpose of, to have purpose of heart and to cleave to the Lord. Uh, might have language like that. This idea of cleaving to the Lord, when you're cleaving to something, you're normally not grabbing onto something else because you're focused on holding onto this. We have the exhortation to, to husbands to love their wives, to, to cleave to the wife, to let go of father and mother. And the picture is we're letting go of mom and dad and we're cleaving to our wife. We're, we're going to hold on to that. We're not going to let it go. Uh, the same encouragement Barnabas gives to these uh, Gentile believers, uh, don't hold on to these other things that you may have held on to before, but hold on to the Lord now. And he's just encouraging them. Uh, so in a sense, he, he's living up to this name that the disciples have given him, Barnabas, son of encouragement. In verse 24, we get basically a, a one-verse statement about the type of man that Barnabas was. It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Just one simple sentence. It's actually a half a sentence. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. It'd be a nice one to have said about us. I'd like it.
I'd like it. Full of the Holy Spirit. He was someone that the Holy Spirit had complete control over. So much so that it was so recognizable that, again, he's the only guy there. And what's interesting here is he's about to make a choice that actually changes everything we hold to believe in the church today as to how things should be run. What we have here is the makings of a one-man ministry. He's here with a bunch of people that don't know anything. He is one man that was sent to do a job. And instead of standing up and doing it all himself, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He goes and he looks for Saul, that Saul would come and teach with him. Why Saul? Well, we can imagine that all the Jews were still afraid of him. <laughs> Even after they realized that Saul was really a believer, people were still seemed to be afraid of him. Um, What's interesting here is the Gentiles would have no knowledge of who this Saul was. They would have no fear of who this Saul was. They would have no uh, repercussions from the high priest or any council. Uh, they were completely untouchable from, from their rule, essentially. And so now Barnabas sees an opportunity to encourage both these new saints and to encourage the Apostle Paul. And so in verse 25, it says, He left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Before, they were just followers of the way. They were a sect of Judaism that had uh, followed after this person that they claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, but now these are Gentile people. Uh, these aren't Jews. This is a completely different group of people now. And Barnabas and Saul are able to teach through the Holy Spirit so well that they get the name Christians. They don't give it to themselves. It certainly wasn't the Jews that gave it to them, uh, but other people in Antioch. Derogatory term at the time, we're sure, gave them this name Christians. There was something about the opportunity, this huge shift that has taken place from Jerusalem being kind of the the church that everyone would look to for something. And all of a sudden, Antioch is building up in its importance. It's building up in its reputation. Two men there. Not the original disciples, not a whole team of people. Two men, Barnabas and the man that he would go in to encourage, uh, Saul. So they teach for a year, if you could imagine that. Uh, to have the opportunity for a guy like Barnabas and a guy like Saul to, to teach you straight for a year. Uh, there's probably pretty good growth there. In verse 27, it says, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. What's interesting is here that they have this practice where a prophet would come through and he would have freedom in a meeting to stand up and proclaim a prophecy. And there would be others in that meeting that would sit back and they would judge whether or not this prophecy was true or not. Um, 
what we want to notice as we're going through the book of the Acts or as we're going through things in the New Testament, uh, things that we see as a pattern that develops. Um, this is something that we practice today. During the breaking of bread, there's a freedom, there is a liberty to stand up and to proclaim to God and to all that are listening praise to the Lord Jesus, a worship of the Lord Jesus, openly, publicly. This man, Agabus, came to preach the fact that there was going to be a, a great famine, uh, a famine that occurred. And we might think, that's terrible. It's terrible. Disaster, people struggling, people suffering, people starving. It's terrible news. But what's interesting is that as this book continues and as this historical account continues, we see the Holy Spirit working in everything. And what we have here is opportunity. You have a really a strong Gentile church and you have a strong Jewish church in Jerusalem. And there's going to be a famine that takes place where the church in Jerusalem is going to suffer greatly. They're really going to struggle. They're really going to have a hard time. So in verse 29, it says, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. This is just opportunity for fellowship, for encouragement, for the grace of God. And now this group of people, these Gentiles, that perhaps the Jews still despised in their hearts at certain times and certain thoughts and certain deeds, they're the ones that the Holy Spirit uses to sustain them, to encourage them, and to strengthen them. And the one thing I want you to notice is it all really started with this one man, Barnabas, that went and encouraged people. One of the things they ask us at the Galilee program is what characterizes your ministry at your local assembly? Uh, for a lot of people, it's, it's youth work. Um, for some of us, it was preaching from the pulpit, uh, Bible studies. Uh, uh, they call them discovery groups, uh, camp ministries, uh, evangelistic ministries, paint boards. Um, what characterizes your ministry? And we think of things, things that we do. We don't often think of the attitude behind it, what characterizes our ministry. What characterized Barnabas was he was just an encourager in every way, shape, and form. And I think one of the things I wanted to bring out this evening was that I know it's been hard the last few weeks here. It was hard for Nick and I at the program. Um, we were getting messages. We were being informed of everything that was going on. And I know it hurts. And I know it's not something that we just snap back. But there's opportunity here to encourage one another, to be like Barnabas, if we're willing to have that type of attitude. If we're going to have an attitude that just looks at everything that can be wrong, to continue to be more bitter and more upset, we know how that turns out. So I just wanted to encourage you all as we came back. We were thinking of you. Uh, you were in our prayers daily. 
and we were burdened to come back and to just be an encouragement here. So if there's anything that's needed, um, you can ask. And Lord willing, I'll be there to help. The power of the grace of God is something that we shouldn't underestimate, that we shouldn't put low. The grace of God is something that made us fall in love with the Lord Jesus. So let's encourage each other to fall in love with the Lord Jesus more, that we would see the grace of God. What's interesting in this opportunity that they had to really increase this fellowship between two parties that really didn't get along was that this, again, shifts, and all this attention now from really Acts chapter 13 on goes to first these two men, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and then basically the Apostle Paul following him pretty much after chapter 15. So what do we see happen in this church at Antioch? We see the gospel go to them through unnamed people. We see the Lord through the work of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ save many of them. We see teaching that goes out. And we see that when they were giving, there wasn't this demand for a tithe. There wasn't this demand to fall under, well, you know, Old Testament said 10%, so, you know, we're going to try to make a pattern after that Old Testament rule, and we're going to give 10%, and we're just going to maybe not call it a tithe, but it's a tithe. In verse 29, it says, In the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. It was going to be a matter of the heart. Every person was going to look at what they had, and they were going to determine to give a portion of that, a portion of that that was worthy to go. And what we see later on that characterizes those that are just giving believers is that um, they often overestimate the portion they're able to give instead of just giving the 10% that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, they give to the point where they're almost poor because of the fact they're giving so much. These are things that now characterize the age we're in. This isn't an age of rules and regulations. This isn't an age of just do it because that's what it says. This is an age that do it if your heart wants you to do it. Do it if you're doing it to glorify the Lord. If you're doing it to glorify yourself, well, you're going to be disappointed. So what we see as this continues, that now they're a, a giving assembly, they're, they're giving out to the saints. Uh, the next thing we see happen is they're a, the first to really send out missionaries. Um, we have in chapter 13, if, if you could just focus there, chapter 13, we're going to close there. In verse 1, it says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And it says, And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They were the, really the first church to send out people for the sake of the gospel. There's five men listed in the first verse as those that were teachers and prophets in this assembly. Uh, we know the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were probably the two men that started this all, and as gift was recognized, 
uh, they encouraged him to come along and to partake in the teaching and the prophesying of the word. And it says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And we kind of just read that and like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Did the Holy Spirit speak to them? Did they have a dream? What did it look like? How did the Holy Spirit communicate this to them? And we would assume that he communicated it the way he communicated other things, that there was a prophet that stood up while they were fasting and had a burden for uh, the, the people that were lost and a burden for the gospel to make the name of the Lord Jesus great. And the communication that we need to set some people apart and to go and do this work. They don't need to stay here and keep teaching us. Uh, and I wonder if that's our attitude. I feel like we're close to that point, close to that point where we set aside the best men that we have to go and serve the Lord and to proclaim the gospel. Uh, we notice here that it wasn't just any two guys. Uh, it was the two top people, uh, the two people that began this whole uh, work up there. And they said, set apart for me these two men. And there didn't appear to be any problem with that. It seemed like they were excited to send these two out. Um, there may be a sense of almost devastation uh, when you think of a small assembly perhaps losing their most gifted individual uh, to go and serve the Lord in, in foreign missions. Uh, but this is something that they took very seriously. They took it from the Holy Spirit. And this idea of the Holy Spirit sent them out and the assembly released them to go. Uh, and that's really the picture that we have, the work of the Holy Spirit to send and the work of us to let them go, to serve. So I want you to consider in your study of the New Testament, in your study of the church as you go through the epistles and different things, it's amazing that Antioch isn't held up as, as really the type of church that we all want to be a part of. Um, but as we read through this short portion and we see in just a few years uh, the position they go from Gentiles who knew nothing, giving back to the Jews, restoring relationship, sending out Paul and Barnabas for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel, and then being the assembly to defend the gospel. When people would come in, when we remember in Galatians chapter 2, Peter's going up to Antioch, and all of a sudden, all these Jews are being led away with Peter, and this division starting, and Paul stands up and has to rebuke Peter in front of everybody. This isn't right. Uh, people come up and start teaching that you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the law. This is how it works. You've got to do it this way. Paul and Barnabas got to go down to Jerusalem, and they got to say, that's not right. And they all come together, and they're all trying to figure it out. And in one meeting, in one conference, the pendulum could have swung one way or the other, and it swings to the side of grace and not to this law that they weren't able to keep, not to this burden that they had placed upon them. We have an opportunity here at this assembly to really make the name of the Lord Jesus great. And I think it's really only going to start if we are like Barnabas and encourage one another. So I would encourage you to go and encourage others this evening. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for the examples that we see in Your Scripture of all the things that have happened uh, in that time period. You have recorded this in, in, in very good detail, the events that occurred, of the people that went, the type of people they were, and the success that the Lord had. Um, Father, we think of the opportunities that we have. We pray that we would have an attitude like Christ. We pray that we would have humble hearts, uh, that we would have hearts to be servants, to be encouragers, to build up, to seek opportunities, maybe for people that others have considered not worth it. We see this man Barnabas, one that brings along the Apostle Paul. Father, may we too be encouragers of those that have been maybe put to the side. We just give thee thanks for all that you've done for us and for all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.